all day. All day. Yo, what's up? Welcome to Birdland. Birdland. Win or lose, we bringing it to you always. Always. Yo, what's up? Welcome to Birdland. Orange or black, we rebuild the pack. No matter where we at, you know we coming back. Section 336, we on this, so tune in. Tune in. Yo, what's up? Welcome to Birdland. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Birdland. You know what's up. from Section 336. Gentlemen, boys and girls, Baltimore sports fans of all ages, welcome to Section 336, Next Generation of Baltimore Sports Talk. I am your endearingly stuttering host, Matt Sroka. As always, I'm joined by the button lover, Josh Sroka. Hey, Matt, how you doing? Still got I still got to fix that music stuff where it just sharply jumps us in, but it's all right. It's part of the transition to video as we are now... Uh, Past what two weeks, three weeks, been live on YouTube, Facebook, and uh, what's the other one? Twitter. Yeah, every, every Monday night, except not next week. I didn't know there was an issue. It just jumps us in. What do you mean? The music, it just cuts off. There's no fade out of the music. Ah, uh, okay. I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. So. Yeah. But uh, you want to bring our guest in before we? Uh, yeah, yeah, small yeah. talk and everything. Yeah, we're joined once again. This is recurring guest. He might he might be pushing the record for most appearances on Section Three Three Six as a guest. Charlie Hoppus, welcome, Charlie. Hey, good to be there. Yeah, you know what it is. It's Charlie deserves his own podcast, <laughs> but all of his friends bail on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think you guys. This is three hundred and eighty nine for you all. Yeah. We yeah. we made it to about forty with Orioles passes. <laughs> no, that that many. I was going to guess nine. We uh we burned bright. We burned bright, but we did not burn long. Yeah. Well, there's a, a large there's a large group who are still holding out hope, Charlie. That one day, one day it'll happen. You well, guys, you you bring the band back together. Well, you know, speaking of burning bright and fast and disappearing right away. We had Charlie on back when we had the coronavirus to deal with. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Josh, Josh is in Florida, so he thinks COVID's actually over. So he had, we had Charlie on to celebrate the end of COVID. Josh, I hate to break it to you, <laughs> but the country is still going through a pandemic. I don't know what you're talking about. I went to the <laughs> gas station today, and I didn't see any masks. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's a, that's a big-time yeesh. No, it's not that bad. Actually, it used to be that bad. It's gotten a lot better down here in Florida where people are wearing masks. You still have the Florida rednecks down here. But for the most part, Florida has decided, okay, we'll we'll wear the masks. I remember saying that that I thought that COVID was going to be like a slow release 9-11 for our country. And I I couldn't believe how wrong I was in like five or six different ways (laughs) about that. It's so much, so much worse and so much less uh, right, galvanizing right. As, as a thing for our country. We, you're right. We thought, and as when we spoke back in March, we thought that for some reason this virus was going to unify us as a country like 9-11 did. Yeah, that, not, was, that was quaint of us. Right. Not tear us apart like the Civil War did. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it isn't. I mean, it is. It's one of those times where you step back and like it's unbelievable that even this, there's can't have kind of agreement and unity on something like this, right? Like that's kind of mind blowing. Well, this is, this is where I want to just be like an old man to see like (laughs) what this looks like when we look back 50 years from now. Yeah. Well, hopefully we get to live to be old men someday. (laughs) No promises. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. 
Um, but it is. It, it, it's one of those things where it. I think it does. Like this time needs some perspective because in the middle of it, it looks, it feels insane. Um, but maybe we just lack a certain perspective. I don't know. Um, let's get and we and we can talk about the state of baseball and the state of sports. But Charlie, I want to start with this. I feel like we got to get this out. Got to just talk about this right up front. Um, when I was when I was a kid, Charlie, in in middle school, high school, in college, it's kind of fun. It's enjoyable to make fun of your friends who are fans of other teams when they lose, right? Like, there's something about yeah. like taking joy out of someone else who suffers in their fandom. But as I get older, Charlie, I, I've changed my tune on that, and because I'm such a fan, and then I know heartbreak. I mean, an Orioles fan. So I know what it is to get your hopes up. I know what it is to be continually disappointed. Um, And so I no longer make fun of fans or I don't rag on fans when their team lose. I just kind of feel empathy for them because I've experienced it. Uh, Charlie, your Clippers. um, The other thing I'll say, Charlie, and I'll let you respond to your thoughts about your Clippers, but I'm so grateful for this podcast because – this is why I'm not really on Twitter that much with sports all that much as I would be or other places because I have this outlet to kind of express my thoughts and opinions about the Orioles. Even if no one listens, it's at least an outlet that I feel that I can express myself. And I have to listen. Yeah. So, Charlie, I want to give you kind of this outlet um, to talk about your Clippers and kind of what happened. I appreciate that because, uh, you know, there's not a lot of uh Clipper fans in the middle of central Pennsylvania, which is where <laughs> I'm based out of now. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, I I thought I, I'm a little disappointed in just the fan community in general because uh you'd think that there would be some empathy for a team that's never made the conference finals and that historically, when they have been good over the last decade, has historically imploded and usually in like heartbreaking and horrifying fashion. Yeah. Um Due to injuries or due to just like self-inflicted trauma, um, you'd think there would be some empathy for a team like that imploding and falling apart. But uh, for whatever reason, there was a lot of a lot of joy taken in the Clippers' demise. Um, for those of you that that aren't basketball fans, uh, you'll still appreciate this: uh, the Clippers, who have never made a uh, conference final um, ever in fifty years of of history. Uh, blew a three to one lead to the Denver Nuggets, uh, so pretty pretty brutal. Um, yeah. It's been a uh, it's hard it's hard to to go through a whole season and experience the highs and lows of a season a sports season and have it end with a three to one blowing lead blowing when you're as close as you're about to get to as far as you've ever been right so it's tough. Yeah, and, and I don't know what it's like really to. It's been a long time for the Orioles to be there, to to be the favorite and to be expected to win. Um, but, I mean, the equivalent would be, I mean, because the Clippers brought in the um, NBA Finals MVP, right, Kawhi Leonard. So they, um, and they were already a good team prior, prior to that. So they were expected, right, to, to if not just make the conference finals, to, to make the finals. Um, so those expectations, too. And then to lose to the Nuggets up 3-1 because you just don't expect it, right? Or maybe you do expect it because 
just history. <laughs> I think I think all Clippers fans, uh, as confident as we were in the team, had a sense of dread uh, throughout the entire season. So it, it's just you sort of once you lose game five, your yeah. thought is, and, and we had a sixteen point lead in game five. Uh, so you just start like, oh no. And then game six, we had a nineteen point lead in game six. Uh, and you're just like, oh no. And by game seven, we're up by 12 in the second quarter. And you're just like, you don't feel good. You like, yeah. you feel sick to your stomach up by 12. <laughs> right, in right. Game seven. Um, and yeah, we weren't close to winning any of those games. We got blown out in all of those games, despite being up huge in all of them. So, uh, yeah, just tough. Yeah. We were, Josh and I were talking last week about, how it's hard <laughs> to be an Orioles fan and a Redskins fan. And we kind of feel those feels for those fans because as Raven fans and Orioles fans, the Ravens have brought us a lot of winning. Right, we've got one. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. And we've got championships to celebrate with, 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 with the Ravens. They're always good. They're well-run. Like they're all the things you want organization. Things the Orioles in the past have not been. Things the Redskins, I feel like for a long time have not been. So, yeah. So it's, 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 because there has to be, as a fan, there has to at some point, like, be a payoff. Like, there has to be some joy, right? Like, there has to be, it can't be all this kind of um, biding your time and suffering. Like, there has to be some moments of joy in your fandom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would think. And the Clippers have not provided that to me. They've blown two three-to-one leads now uh, in the second round of the playoffs over the years. And the Orioles... Have not provided that to me, as you guys, as you guys know. We've had some yeah. some high moments and some uh, mostly low moments. This season's yeah. been fun, though. I I haven't had a chance to talk with it about about it with anybody too too much. Uh, but it's been a really great season so far. Yeah, yeah. Go go go, Josh. No, I mean it has, and this season, the whole reason this season was fun is because I think of those expectations that we might win ten games. So to I win double, yeah. and to see a bunch of to win more than double of that, and to see a bunch of young guys come up and play well, it's fun, and it's one of those things where it's like you don't need to win at win to enjoy the season. If this was a season that we could go to as fans, we would enjoy going and seeing Dean Kramer pitch and stuff. We would have gone and had a lot of fun seeing Mountcastle and Stewart. So it's, uh, yeah, it was a good season. And it seems like even as far as a COVID baseball season, even with the rocky start, they seem to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, if this season was, if this record was achieved with guys like Malone pitching the whole season and LeBlanc and other veteran hitters, um, I would say Dwight Smith Jr., even, even like Dwight Smith Jr., but some guys from the past, like if it was done, with a bunch of veterans, oh, yeah, no future guys. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't be really fun. But I think the the thing that makes it fun is we're seeing, I think, for the first time, at least under Mike Elias, kind of some of these prospects come up, like your Keegan Aikens um, and your Dean Kramer's and Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes. And it hasn't always been pretty. Um, like Stewart at the beginning was not pretty, and then he was pretty for about I don't know a couple weeks, maybe three weeks, right? Um, and Austin Hayes has kind of been up and down, but still, like Austin Hayes is at bat. Like I stop what I'm doing and watching watch Austin Hayes 
Pitt. I wasn't doing that for not to pick on him, but I wasn't doing that for Dwight Smith ju- 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 Jr. So I think the what makes it fun is not even the winning, though we're winning some games, winning more than I thought. It's more um, getting to see some of these young guys and see what we have next year and the year after, and hopefully for a while to come. Right, Charlie? Isn't that um, is 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 that what's made the season fun? You think? I mean, even even just like the guys when they have struggled, like like Austin Hayes, like you mentioned, has been sort of up and down. But when they've struggled, you just you can you don't have to squint too hard to see how this player can fit into mm-hmm. the future, right? And and same thing with with DJ Stewart. He had that awful start, and he's been struggling a little bit lately. Um, but you see what he can do, and it's just thrilling to imagine what he's going to look like on the next great Orioles team or the next good Orioles team. Um, and there's just so many players that you can name like that. And it's just, it's just fun. Uh, I don't know during the, uh, during the two thousands when we were bad, I do, do you all remember too many seasons where there was just like a lot of fun young players like this? I can't remember too many. I was, I was trying to think about it before I came on. No, I, I mean, if anything, you had the end of that, you had the cavalry start to come up. So you had excitement, but the guys never performed well. Like out of the gate, they sucked. Right. So right. you had like leaders to get excited about. about. This year was weird because it is all about individual performances. And normally when a, when a season's about individual performances, it's because your team sucks and there's one veteran that you've been watching forever and the individual performance is watching him put up stats or and that wasn't the case this year it was individual performances about guys who are going to be the future members of this team yeah and like even at the end of the end of the mcphail era when it was that kind of the grow the arms by the bats and you have guys like brian madison zach Britton, and chris tillman kind of and brad Ferguson moving their way up the ranks even then it was like the offense you were going to go free agents and do veterans and you're hoping these junk pitchers would work out where like with this, like the whole, (laughs) the whole team is like, was in double a a couple years ago. Right. Or in single a, like, it's not just one or two pieces. Like, and as Charlie much like, like weeders, you waited for him and then you waited for Machado, but this is like, you're waiting for all of the minor leagues to work their way up to, to the majors. And Ryan Mountcastle and Keegan Aiken were, were the closest but you know, and here's kind of the exciting thing, like you know uh, uh, for how, how good Dean Kramer has been, he's not the best pitching prospect in our system. He's not even in the top three, right? So you have better pitchers coming who are still on their way who are, who are going to be arriving. And so I think this whole – this the fact that it's just whole kind of wave and this is just the first wave and we know that there's more and even better players than Ryan Matkowski and Dean Kramer that are coming is I think – partly also it makes it really exciting right every position there's a player at every position to look forward to that's weird what do we do with what do we do with some of the veterans then you know going into next season goodbye because yeah what do we you how do you keep around chris davis even with two more years on his contract yeah i mean it's a great question i mean i don't know how we talked about this last week in that when you have like five legitimate outfielders competing for, for the job and if Right. And this is also cause to celebrate. I saw right before coming on that Trey Mancini um, had his last um, chemotherapy session. So that's great for for um, for Trey Mancini. And, and, you know, 
if, if he comes back, that's another first baseman slash corner outfielder, which we have several, several of. Chris Davis becomes a, a question mark. Where do you fit him? Even a guy like Renato Nunez, he's a guy where you look at all these players, you go, I don't know where this guy fits in either. Um, and so you have guys who are just kind of in these interests. Cobb is another one where you know there's this rush of young pitchers just kind of waiting at Norfolk to get the call up. Um, and so how long is Cobb here before you're kind of asking him to, to, to move aside? We know that Severino and Chancisco are literally just kind of holding down the fort until our real catcher arrives. So I think there's – but, I mean, that was the case at the beginning of the year with guys like Malone and LeBlanc. And I think the further in you get, like hopefully – I mean, no disrespect to Velasquez and, and Pat Vileka, but you hope that these other young pitcher, other young position players can push out guys like Velasquez and – and Vileka and find spots for him. It, it, yeah, go ahead. It's kind of on these veterans to play their way out of Baltimore. If they want to be able to contribute and not just be dumped, they need to play their way up to a trade. Like many had the opportunity to do this year, which Cobb got hurt with the injury. Uh, and the, uh, and the big LeBlanc, contract, too. LeBlanc, yeah, LeBlanc got hurt, and that – killed his chances even though he's pitching okay you got to play your way out of this or they are going to be dumped and free agents cut well because i think the interesting thing about chris davis and that's another like big question is i think i hope that even from michael eisen's perspective there'll be a transition next year to where we need to put a competitive team on the field like we're trying to win games now right with all these like you could argue that this year and the year prior we're in the – I mean, what, what, what did Michael Ice always say? Like, we're – the team is focused on acquiring more ta- ta- talent. Right. That's what the goal is. Not winning, but acquiring more ta- talented players. But I think at some point, and it seems logical next year, um, based on the performances of some players this year, that it would make sense to, like, put the best possible team on the field. And I think we've already seen a little bit of that tension between Elias and Hyde, at least I think, where – Elias cares more about, you know, his 60-man roster or whatever it is um, and or 60-man player pool. And Hyde cares more about putting a winning team on the field. But I think as we go forward, the roster becomes less important. The money for Chris Davis becomes less important. And what becomes more important is, okay, what, what 26 men give me the best chance of winning any given day? Yeah, I mean that's that's right. It, it's it's uh, a tough contract to swallow, and I think it's a, sort of ironic. Chris Davis was supposed to be the kind of player that kept our interest through any sort of uh, any sort of situation where the team might be struggling. Right? He was supposed mm-hmm. to be that guy who is still going to hit 40, 50 home runs, and we'd come to the ballpark to watch. Right. Uh, so to have him you know, not even really be able to hang with these younger guys uh, and forget the younger guys hang with the Renato Nunez's of the world. Um, it's, it's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow. And, and for another, however many 45 million on the books for the next two years, something like that. Yeah. Uh, but at some point, yeah, you have to, you have to put the best team possible on the, on the field. And I think, I think that this year, showed a little bit of that where this year 
without putting the best team on, they started to make an impact and they started to win games, which means going into next season, you're not really, you're not throwing the season away. Your team is not going to allow you to get the number one draft pick overall next season. So you might as well now bring guys up to that next level and start to help them kind of polish these guys so that 2022, 2023, you're really competitive. In terms of in terms of record, what do you all think? I've gone back and forth on this a lot. What do you all think about this season's record and in terms of where we are relative to other teams being a little bit of fool's gold? I've heard I've heard from certain people that this is sort of more of a it's great that it's great that things have been going well, um, but that they don't expect the Orioles to be much better this year, next year than they expected them to be this year, even with the good results that we've seen from individual players. That, that seems to be more of a national writer viewpoint, which I kind of just set aside on everyone hates on the Orioles and Peter Angelos. And I think there is something to be said of the Orioles have to prove it first. Yeah. We've never proven that we have a farm system to bring big league players up to the majors. So the Orioles need to kind of prove that and show that these guys are for real because we've dealt with fool's gold before. Well, and, and, to, and to Charlie's point, like, if you think about it, I mean, not his point, but the point some people are making, even when we were, like, there was a series a week ago, and this, by the way, the standings are insane. Like, two weeks ago, we were having a conversation about being a half a game out of a playoff spot with the Yankees. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, we're like three games away from being below Boston and the Yankees are fighting for first place with Tampa. Like it's just been every week, like, cause there's so few games. But the point is when we were fighting it out with, with the Yankees for that last playoff spot before, you know, um, that series happened, they, they were like 40 games in and the regular season, there's still 120 more games to be played. Right. Like it's nothing to celebrate uh, or it's very little to celebrate that you're competitive for 40 games in a 160 game season. So like, I get it, right? Like, I mean, if you look at the record now and if we played 160 games, like we could match last year's win total um, because we're falling fast. Right. Um, so, but I mean, at the same time, what, what, what you want is you want to see young players coming up and performing well. This series against Tampa Bay was so interesting. And I feel like they all kind of ran into, ran together there was five games which is a lot and they were all like two to one or three to one but there was in almost every game there were times early on where we had a bunch of runners on base right i think i think not yesterday but on saturday and sunday i mean on saturday and friday we had bases loaded in either like the first inning or second inning or thir third inning and then we just don't have a talented enough lineup from one to nine Right. So so maybe like the top of the order gets up and then you have your Velasquez and then you have your Chancisco's who just aren't quite as good. And so it's hard to sustain unless you're going to hit three run homers. It's hard to sustain like a rally when you have so many hitters who are not major league quality hitters. And so until you can have a lineup, I think from top to bottom, full of major hitters, it's hard to imagine that you're competitive. Now, the takeaway also was Tampa is John Means was great. Dean Kramer, I don't really understand him and why he's good, but but Dean Kramer was really good. Keegan Aiken, I have no idea how he's successful, but he was good as well. And so and and Jorge Lopez was was excellent as well. And so like 
what 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 is going to be the, deter the determinant factor on whether our record improves next year or not, I think is in large part is going to be our starting pitching, right? Like, do we have, is Dean Kramer for real? Is Keegan Aiken really a major starter? Is Jorge Lopez what he is this year? Or, or is, is he the five year a that we picked him off uh, when we pick, picked him up? So I think the starting pitching, is it real or is it legit? Is it, is it fool's gold? Um, I don't know. I like, I can't, I don't think Keegan Aiken is as good as he's been this year. I don't think Dean Kramer is as good as he's been this year, but if they are, shoot, we may have something pretty good here. Right, but we and we did. We lost a lot of games this year with low-scoring games where we've held the other teams to two or three, four runs, which is what we want to ask the starters to do. But then the offense could never click it together. Most even when DJ Stewart went on that terror home runs, they were all solo shots because. It just was never clicking and very rare that we were scoring more than two runs in inning. I think for me, the way that <laughs> somebody's ripping your, uh, your Batman. Yeah, I don't like your bats. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody in the chat's not liking the bats, Matt. Oh, come on, guys. Give me a break <laughs> here. All right. I got to, I got to. I got a three-year-old who's super into Halloween. So we decorate Halloween and put the bats on the wall. Love. I'm surprised they haven't fallen down. By the way, it's got these just these cheap, sticky things. They keep on falling down. So at some point, our bat's gonna fall down. Here. And yeah, I know it's only September. Get off my back about it. It is. It's middle of September. We got oh it. man, Batman animated series. By the way, so good. Um, going through that a little bit. Um, but to to what I was what I was about to say. Um, it's interesting. I think that if the Orioles were 10 games worse this season than they are currently are, um, and or if this was a regular season and the Orioles finished with 100-plus losses again, let's say, uh, if we had the same results individually, I would still be over the moon with that. And I think the question becomes, next season, if we similarly get some great individual results and we see a ton of promise from individuals but the team results are poor do we view that as a successful season if we lose 100 games but we see you know we see that dean kramer is for real and john means is the real john means that we hope that he is and that we have clung to that he is um and not just somebody who had a really great first half of a season last year um so it's I well, think that's I think that's really interesting. I, what what is next year? What is next year's view going to be if we lose a bunch of games, but we get these good individual performances from young players? Doesn't, doesn't it depend on how many good individual performances? Because the whole point is, if you get a whole lot of good individual performances, then you have a winning season. Well, to, right now we to can Matt's point, to point four or five, and then we can point to twenty people who had bad seasons. <laughs> sure, sure. I think to to Matt's point, it's just that we don't have a full lineup, so we can have we can have players at, or a full rotation or a full bullpen. So we can have right. players that have great games, and then we lose the game, and that happens. I feel like regularly, a couple times a week, where we just have like breakout performances that are really exciting, and we lose, you know, six to three or something. Yeah, it's like uh, next season wins and losses is really easy to look up. But we should, like, after each game on the little calendar, give a thumbs up or a thumbs down on how that game was as, as for the Orioles. So at the end, do we have more thumbs up, as in we're growing, we're getting better, or do we have more thumbs down, as in this team's not ready yet? 
Is that a fun? Is that a fun fan experience for you? I don't know. I'm thinking it depends on how many thumbs up there is. If there's more thumbs up, I'm ready for the next season. If there's more thumbs down, and I can look to more games that disappointed me as a fan, I, I don't know how to judge it because for some reason I enjoyed this season a lot. I did and too. We, and we earned, but I know we lost way more than we won. Yeah. Well, even this Tampa Bay series, we lost four out of five. And I enjoyed watching the series. Like, I, I enjoyed it. I think we're better defensively. That makes it better to watch. Our starting pitching's better. Um, and we're watching some young players. But, yeah, but it's, it's a great question because I, I still think, like, hopefully, as you bring up these young, these young players, like, the goal is ultimately to win baseball games, right? And so hopefully at some point, and I hope it's next year, but if not the next year, better be the year after that, that this starts to transition into winning games. At the same time, though, I could argue that, what, four of our top seven players in our organization are not even on the Orioles yet, are not in the major squad, right? In, in, in um, Adley Rushman and D.L. Hall and Grace Rodriguez and Kerstad, right? I could argue that those are four of our top players. And next year, at least to start the year, they won't even be on the major league team. And so how am I supposed to – am I supposed to – to, to judge the team, you know, knowing that the four, four of the best players are not even on the team, right? right? That seems a little bit weird. And so, but but still, at some point, like, you need to start making improvements. And I think at some point, like, record-wise, you need to start improving record-wise to show that you're headed in the right direction. Or what's right. the point? But was this season so much fun because our expectations were so low? And would this this season would not have been fun if it was 162 games? I don't think. There's yeah, but it might be the length too. Sure, it, it might be also like I don't know. It just seems weird and and not like a normal season. So like Bert Bert said from before the season started, like he didn't want the Orioles to make the playoffs because it's all Dom and a sham, and we can't even go to the games to to see him. So I'd right. rather not make the playoffs. And I thought, well, you know, there is some truth there because if they're in the playoffs, shoot, I want to be there in every playoff yeah. game, and so. Yeah. They're, they're part of the season is is like the whole season's weird. And so I think that also makes it um, right. more acceptable to lose. But I but, would also argue that perhaps that that through 2012 to, what was it, 2016, that those teams fooled us. And those teams didn't, like, kind of weren't supposed to be good and suddenly decided to win every other year but never yeah. enough to actually win the World Series. So did they just fool us by just kind of skirting along for four, six years? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that a lot of, again, national writers would have called some of those Orioles teams fool's gold from, from 2012 to 2016 for sure um, and would point to the losing records in the odd seasons uh, or the 500 records in right. the odd seasons. Um, so yeah, I, or that last season where all the same players were on the team and they were one of the worst Oriole teams we've ever watched. Right. Right. I mean, and, and yeah, nothing changed except just, we regressed back to the mean, right. according, according to national writers. And, and, uh, there's almost certainly some truth to that. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. All I know is this year was fun. And I think that next year, uh, and who knows what baseball will look like in 2021, by the way, who knows? We're not, it, we're not going to get a vaccine. It doesn't seem like in time for baseball next year. 
Um, at least there doesn't seem to be a guarantee of that. So uh, who knows what we might be in a similar situation where we're watching from home next year too, um, which is tough when I, I haven't been able to watch many games. I don't get mass in. So I've only been able to snag some streams here and there illegally and listen on the radio. Um, so who knows what baseball will look like next year, but assuming that we get a season that feels like a full season, um, I just hope that we get these sorts of breakout performances from the current players that we have on the roster and the guys coming up, like Matt was saying. Yeah. I mean, even in those seasons, 2012 through 2016, we knew it felt like, like the clock was ticking, right? Like, Ma- yeah. like Manny Machado was not going to stay in order forever. Jonathan Scope, Adam Jones, like there was the clock was ticking on these guys. Where I think what's exciting now and what Michael Elias' whole thing is, right, is to not bring in like, okay, we have to win only when Adley Rushman's in his prime for the three years we have him in his prime or whatever. No, like this is about building a sustaining, winning organization. I mean, you look at Tampa, just c- continually super impressive. We just played him, so the, the front in my mind. They have the top farm system in the AAL East and the top record in the AAL East with no budget, right? Uh, and no fans, pre-COVID or post-COVID, no fans. And so it's super impressive what they're doing. I think that's what Mike Elias is supposed to bring here. That's what we're hoping he brings here. And that's what's exciting, right? That this is the beginning of the Mike Elias era. And these guys, to be honest, like Dean Kramer and Ryan Mountcast are not Mike Elias guys. These are Dan, Dan Duquette guys. So Michael Elias guys haven't even gotten here, but hopefully what we're what we're seeing, and I think this is also why I think Oral fans are excited, because we kind of realize this that this is the first wave of what's going to be not just a single wave of good players, but like a winning organization, right? A different way to develop and draft and and play baseball, and this and we're seeing the beginning of it, which is pretty exciting. We're seeing guys go to Bowie get the instruction, come back. And is it a coincidence that Cedric Mullins goes there and comes back and he's a freaking all-star? Same with DJ Stewart and and Dean Kramer's been there. Like, I think something that's been missing this organization for a long time is the development aspect, right? And baseball, more than any other sport, you draft these players young and they have to, you have to develop, you have them, what, for years in your minor league system, your chance to develop them and make them better. And for a long time, we didn't make players better when they were in their system. And you had to be freaking Manny Machado to be immune to our farm system. But now it seems to be different in that our minor leaguers are outperforming what we think they are. And they're, and they're, I mean, we saw this two years ago when we had a, a, a minor league season that our pitchers, you know, were some of the, our, our minor pitching was some of the best in all of baseball. And now we see what's happening in Bowie and players come and kind of super prepared. To, to play Major League Baseball. And I think if you're a sports writer or something, like maybe you don't appreciate like what's really happening here. But I think Oriole fans realize like this is not just about a couple young players. This is about a whole organizational shift that we're just kind of seeing the first waves of. Yeah, and it's also you're, that's something that the national reporters are noticing is the farm system where for years and years yeah we're moving up in the rankings yeah 30, 28, uh, 25. now we're thirteen. It's pretty to- remarkable. In two years under Mike Elias, we jumped from one of the worst teams in baseball to like right. twelve or thirteen. Yeah, and with only two remarkable. years of Elias, that means it, that is using 
using guys who were already in our system. Right, with hardly hardly any trade chips left, right? Because Daniel Kett got rid of all the really valuable trade chips besides yeah. maybe Michael Gibbons. Um, but almost no, he, all the valuable trade chips were used up by Daniel Kett. Yeah, yeah, he dumped them on the way out the door. Yeah. And some of them are looking pretty good right now, i.e. Dean Kramer. Yep, sure. But the can we talk big picture again? The baseball season, Charlie, I don't know about you. At the beginning of the season, <laughs> when you had my, the Miami Marlins and all those positive tests, it was looking highly questionable for a baseball season. But all of a sudden, baseball is able, able to figure their act together, get their act together. Then all the, and now you have uh, football, which at the beginning of baseball season, football seems so outlandish that there would even be a season. And now all of a sudden the colleges are starting to come back and NFL. Um, are you surprised, Charlie, with how kind of how sports has adapted kind of in this new COVID environment? I think it's I think it's more impressive that baseball and football has has survived than it is basketball. Basketball, they they went through all the trouble and some of the soccer leagues around the world they went through the trouble of putting together these really strict bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that, that football and baseball have rules, but near not anything nearly as strict as, as uh, the bubbles going on for um, the, the NBA, the WNBA and uh, soccer leagues around, around the world. Um, so I think that's very surprising. Um, I think it speaks to what is possible with just a ton of money. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it, it really speaks to, you know, if you have the resources, um, this virus can be, uh, something that can be managed. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, impressive. You'd love to see some of these things be enacted in places like our school systems, um, and have sort of the same sort of, and, and just universities and colleges in general. Um, but it has been really impressive and really enjoyable to have sports back. i thought that we might just be having a 2020 without sports right which would be worse than a 2020 with sports yeah Yeah, absolutely and the sports that we've seen have been you know i think really enjoyable the baseball season's been a lot of fun the basketball playoffs have been fun um i'm rocking my WNBA hoodie um that's been a really fun season they're in the semifinals right now um with some really great playoff games that just happened. So it's been, it's been wonderful. It's been a good distraction. I think it helps keep people indoors. Um, they can stay home and watch sports. And it gives us all something else to talk about. Yeah. Where instead it's all just talking about being locked in our homes and are we all going to die and how many people are dying, how many people are sick. Uh, and we would argue over, over stuff that's important. And, but Sports at least gives us all that distraction that we can sit at home and watch TV and and forget about things. Yeah, and it's it's the it's the shared experience, right? Like there's not a whole lot of things, especially in lockdown, that we have. Like there's a lot of I don't know, there's a lack of shared experiences right now, I feel like across across kind of across the board. And sports is one of those still one of those kind of shared experiences where we can all watch the same sporting event. And I'll talk about it. And I don't know, that's that's a uniting thing. And that's an important and powerful thing that we have, I think, positive shared experiences in our society now. Because uh, I feel like there's very few shared experiences um, in our society. 
Yeah, I, there's there's between um, the protests and and COVID, there's a lot of existential and the upcoming election. Um, there's a lot of existential dread just mm. in in our country right now, and um, I think that a lot of that dread should be confronted, and it's important to not get distracted um, from some of these issues and some of these things that are happening. Um, but at the same time, you have to you have to have a reprieve. You have to be able to take a breath. You have to be able to have something <laughs> that brings us together, something that that takes your mind off of um, you well, know some of the bleakness of it. It's more than a distraction because as silly as sports are, it brings us together, which then reminds us that we all have more in common than different. Yeah. Then, uh, just like how everyone came together to pummel Clippers fans. Uh, <laughs> right, <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good healing thing for everyone. Right. Um, it doesn't matter what your political views are right now. As divisive as that is, we all went into work this week and talked about Josh Donaldson getting kicked out, ejected after hitting a home run. Like it's just common thing that we could all talk about or Monday going back and talking about the football games from the weekend or, or fantasy football trash talking. It's just a reminder that we have more and more in common. Yeah. I mean, outside of the people who don't watch football anymore because of the protests, which by the way, I've never actually met any of them in an actual person. So I'm still not convinced those people exist, but outside of that, the even if right, even if you don't agree with me on on something as basic as COVID or the Black Lives Matter movement, like even if we disagree on politics, um, sports is one of those things where we can still talk about the Ravens and have a commonality in talking about Lamar Jackson and our experience kind of as fans. And and again, like that seems like that's becoming there's fewer opportunities in that. If we can't agree to just talk about school school openings in the same way, there's very few things I think that we can talk about that have that shared experience. And right. What that does is, all right, let's have a shared experience with sports. Then all of a sudden we can enter those other conversations more as friends and less as combatants, because we know like, Hey dude, like we're on the same side with some stuff. So we can have these other tougher conversations. I feel like in a better way. That's right. It's it's something that's alongside those those harder conversations, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but you know, to your point with the bubble, I guess this is the plan, right, for the playoffs. And I can't believe it snuck up on me that the Orioles played the last home game, right? Wasn't yeah. that the last home game? The, the Orioles have, yeah, they got six games left in the season. Yeah, and what's crazy is we got three against Boston, and I don't know what Brandon Hyde's doing. He's trying to win or something. Mike Elias has to get in his ear because he's throwing like Dean Kramer out there. He's throwing uh, he's Ox Cobb. He's throwing some of our good pitchers. Guys, if we sweep, if we get swept by Boston, we could take over that last spot and bump up our uh, draft pick status. So I don't know what we're doing trying to win against Boston. Yeah, it's Aiken Kramer Cobb. Oh, yeah. What are we doing? What are we doing there? This should be starts by get that Zimmerman guy back in there. Uh, Lopez. Yeah, sure. Bring in Lopez. Bring back Wojciechowski. Get him in there. Well, that's all right. We're going to see great individual performances by these guys. And then we're going to bring in uh, – crap. What's, what's our closer's name? You see – don't uh, – Saucer? Saucer. We'll well, we have a – you know, you see my boy Cesar Valdez is closing games now. Okay. All right. Well, he's all right. He's good. Yeah, you but see Boston. Who's Boston's pitching for that first game? Uh, Perez? No. No, no. that's uh, Wednesday. Tuesday is P- Pivetta. 
You see his ERA? You guys yeah. ERA right there in front of you? 15.88. They 15. know how. <laughs> yeah, they, they he know gives how up almost, almost 16 runs every night, nine innings. That's who Boston's throwing, all right? You know where Boston's head, his head's at, all right? I love Valdez because it's basically like having a position player pitch. He's got just like the <laughs> slow curveballs and stuff, and that's all he's got. It's so fun, uh, except he's like sneaky effective. He's been on Pitching Ninja a bunch. Have you seen Have you seen him on Pitching Ninja? No, I haven't seen him on there because oh, his, his balls move so much. <laughs> well, that's and, incredible. He always he just reminds me of Josh softball pitching, where Josh thinks he's being all clever by like changing his arm slot. Like Josh, the ball's coming in two miles per hour. No one's concerned about your arm slot. That's what Valdez is up there switching no, arm slots. No, it's not my hour. arm. It's not my arm slot. It's my release point that I okay. Fine, so fair it enough. At a different angle to you. Yeah, Josh. No one cares. <laughs> soft, soft touch, toss, uh, soft ball. Hey, it, it works in soft touch. I get some strikeouts, and I get some irritated batters. So it works in that. It's not going to get me anywhere, but it works there. <laughs> yeah, I was just talked a couple of specifics about certain pitchers. John Means, he he had how, how many? Twelve strikeouts. Yeah, on yesterday. Sunday. Yeah, on Sunday. Twelve, 12 strikeouts. Uh, what is it? Career high for him. I think uh, at one point he had nine, 12 strikeouts in like four innings. He had seven in a row. Seven, seven in a row, which I think was your first nine, right? Yeah. So it was nine strikeouts in four innings. That's what I, I mean, said. he only pitched what five and a third innings or something. Right. But if you watch those strikeouts, almost all of them were on fastballs, a couple were on curveballs. This guy is supposed to be the the changeup king, and so I think like for for someone like him to see his, I feel like his fastball has gotten better this year, and his curveball I think has gotten better this year. Though he he hung one curveball that got hit out, but his his curveball has gotten better. Like I don't think there was a single strikeout in those twelve that was on a changeup, which was his best pitch last year, and, and I guess still is his best pitch. But all of those strikeouts are coming on mostly fastballs. I thought it was super impressive. Well, his velocity's up, so if he's getting any sort of movement on it, yeah, like hopefully that that becomes another swing and a miss pitch. Yeah, which I mean, it was yes. I mean, he's he was never a huge strikeout pitcher, but man, um, mm. if he can, I mean, and that's I think a big story because we were really concerned at the beginning of the year that it looked like John Means kind of was broken. Um, so thankfully, it seems like there was just enough games to get John Means back on track. So that's exciting. Looking into next year, we can count on. John Means, and it looks like we can stand, count on Dean Kramer. Though, again, if you guys watch Dean Kramer pitch, I don't really get him. He's got like this. He's got a good fastball. But his strikeout pitch seems to be this 88 mile per hour. I don't know if it's a cutter or a slider, but he'll like leave it up in the zone and people will swing and miss. He'll just be right on the outside corner. People swing and miss. Like he's, like he's throwing 100 miles per hour. This 88 like little cutter or slider. I don't know. It's like how Dean Kramer gets all his strikeouts is weird to me. Like it seems like people shouldn't be missing this 88 mile per hour cut fastball or something, but they swing and miss. Right. And isn't that the fear that like next year, once they see him, they'll just knock him around. Well, yeah, that's my theory geek with Keegan Aiken. If you, I mean, no one has seen these guys pitch all year. Cause they've been in Bowie. There's no minor league tape. So there's really no, Kind of, there's very little right. recent but, data on these guys. So what happens? But the super impressive thing about Dean Kramer is what he he did the Yankees twice, right? Yes, and he was super impressive both times. So like they already had a chance at him, 
and then the second time through, he got him again. It's, so it's got to be something with pitch selection and how he's mixing up his pitches or something that you can't just sit there and wait for that high. So, well, he was doing this in the minor leagues too. He's, he's striking out, he's a, he was a strikeout pitcher, though he doesn't throw with a lot of velocity. So, I mean, it was people were wondering about his strikeout throwing too. Um, it also oh. reminds me of Zach Lothar, who apparently strikes out a bunch of guys, but doesn't throw very hard either. Only throws like 92. Maybe the fastball is overrated. Yeah, I don't know. But we don't, who needs fast pitchers? But like, yeah, Dink Kramer put up really good numbers in the minors. Zach Lothar has. And you wonder, like, are these numbers going to transfer over to the majors? Because sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. So, yeah, I think. I'm not ready, though. People are so quick to, like, crown our rotation in 2023 as being John Means and Dean Kramer and whoever and Keegan Aiken. Like, dude, I've seen enough starting pitchers come to Baltimore, be <laughs> good for a month, and then flame out. That I am – I am my expectations for Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken are as about as low as they can be. If they turn out to be solid fifth starters, I would be over the moon. But then don't you have to say the same thing about anyone this year, about Mount Castle, about, uh, especially about DJ Stewart and Cedric Mullins? Who oh, are definitely not, those two, yeah. Those two guys, especially when you saw good and bad from them this year, that you can't, you can't start any of these guys as in that 2023 lineup or rotation. I think you can with Mount Castle just because yeah. of his, his pedigree. He's, he's just expected his whole career to hit, and he's hit his whole career. So I think I think that's the one guy that sort of is above what what you're describing. I think DJ Stewart is interesting because he's done the one thing that that they've said he's able to do his whole time, which is have a good eye and get on base. He's able to do that even when he's slumping. He's just like can still find ways to walk even if he can't hit the ball and play. He strikes out a ton. Um, so there's there's interesting holes in the other guys' games offensively. Uh, but Mountcastle's the one that's. I think he's in the lineup to stay. Depending if you have a position for him. Well, well, that's what I want to say, Josh. And and let me know what you guys think. From my personal opinion, I haven't watched every single play he's made in the outfield or at first base. But from what I can tell, he seems pretty good and comfortable both in the outfield and first base. Like I've been. That's one of the things that's been more impressive to me is his ability to play defensively. Like he looks athletic he looks like he knows what he's doing he doesn't look like he's clueless out there um i've been impressed with his defense he looks athletic i think i think athleticism is like one of those things that you just like hope translates into actual results i don't know enough about the metrics but he certainly passes the eye test he looks like he knows what he's doing out there like you said i really wish he could play third base um, because we just have that log jam of outfielders and first baseman and he obviously played shortstop and third base in the minors. I really wish they would give him a, a longer look at third and just hope that he could stick there, you know? I know. It's surprising, right? Because he does look athletic. He does look like he's not awkward. He looks good. At, like, why can't he transition over the third base? Like, I can see shortstop. All right. Because he, he must not have the reflexes. The third no, no, base no, no, no. Josh, you, I saw yesterday. He caught a freaking line drive. I think to make the last out of the game, a line drive to first base. He's got the reflexes. Okay. It, it, I think it might be uh, the arm strength, right? Like that could be the only thing is the arm strength. But except that's going to hurt him in the outfield. Well, yeah, well that's why he's playing, I guess, left and right, right? Like that's where you. I don't know. So, I I yeah. wonder if the outfield position has become the corner outfield positions have became an easier position in the past uh, five six years. 
by these by so many spray charts and just pulling out the little postcard out of your back pocket that say, all right, the guy's going to hit it in this area. So you don't have to turn and run as much and chase as many balls down as much anymore. I think that's right. But you still don't want like Nelson Cruz type players out there. You sure. want sure, but we've yeah. seen we've moved Trey Mancini to the outfield. We moved Ryan Mountcastle to the outfield. We moved Chris Davis to the outfield. Like we keep putting people who shouldn't be in the outfield in the outfield. Yeah. Can I, can I say who looks better, who looks worse than Ryan Mountcastle in the outfield, who doesn't look athletic and looks awkward all the time? DJ Stewart. This guy's <laughs> been playing out for his whole life. What's he doing out there? He In that game, I forget what, what day it was because all those Tampa Bay games run together. But he gave up. There was a hit in the first inning where like, it was a line drive to him. There was a runner on second base, a one-hop line drive to him. He threw it home. It was on about five hops before it hit the cutoff man. And the cutoff man just threw it to second base because there was no chance at home. When anyone with a decent arm would have thrown him at home. Then a few innings later, the guy hit the triple because it hit his glove because I guess he didn't know where the wall was. I mean, this is a guy who took the ball, a ball off to the face last year, famously or infamously. So for me, DJ Stewart looks really bad in the outfield. And if you're Ryan Mountcastle, if you're if you're Brandon Hyde, you make every excuse for my or for for uh, uh, Ryan Mountcastle to play anywhere, right? Because the dude can hit. I don't know if DJ Stewart has the hit tool to also be bad defensively. Like that's that's kind of a double whammy. But but to have that's the one to me where like if you watch DJ Stewart play every day. And again, I don't know what the metrics say, so maybe we got to look deeper at the metrics. Um, but again, anyone would argue small sample size, right, for DJ Stewart or Ryan Mountcastle. But if but he just looks awkward, and Ryan Mountcastle always just looks so comfortable compared to a guy like DJ Stewart in the outfield. But Stewart's been playing his whole, his whole life there, so well, that's is it. Maybe that's the problem that DJ Stewart has been in the outfield his whole life. The outfield is where you hide guys that can hit the ball but not do anything else in every level up into the majors. The only person I totally trust out there is is Mullins. Um, even Hayes, I'm I'm still I know he can make some incredible plays, but Mullins is the guy that I'm like, yes, this guy can play defense, major league level, 100 percent, any of those positions. Yeah, I thought it said a lot, right? When Hayes got up, was brought back up after the injury, after the rib injury, and he was put in left field, right? Because Cedric yeah. Mullins had kind of you know ran that center field. Um, and Brendan Hyde mentioned this past week that he deserves um, some some love for the Gold Glove in center field because he's been that good this year. Yeah, he's he's just outstanding. He's fun to watch. There's not. It's been a few years since we've had some really fun defensive players, um, and he's he's one of them. Yeah, I mean the thing about Austin Hayes, I think Austin Hayes is really good defensively too, but Austin Hayes he stresses me out. And that I feel like any fly ball, he's ready to run through a wall and break his whole body. I'm like Austin Hayes, like chill out, dude. You get injured, like walking to your car. Like don't ram into a wall at 100 miles per hour. Like that part stresses me out. Like any, like I know if the ball is hit near the wall with DJ Stewart, he's gonna awkwardly like crawl out there and kind of you know bump into the wall, do something really awkward. But at one mile per hour, where Austin Hayes, if the ball is anywhere near, he's going there 100 miles per hour not caring what, what he hits, which you love, but then you also like, dude, dude, you get hurt too much. But sure. but an outfield with with Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes, that's that's a good center left combination. 
for sure for sure and then you just have to find that right fielder and and maybe it is mountcastle if you've got someone like mullins in center somebody like mullins makes up for uh or mullins and left or uh, i'm sorry maybe mountcastle and left and, and hayes and right or, or some sort of alignment like that if you if you have mullins you can cover up a bunch of sins uh, of the other outfielders uh, yeah. so it has to hit enough to stick around yeah it's true because he is i mean mullins is and i i guess i mean in a perfect world, Santander is a guy we haven't seen in a while, but Santander would be that right fielder. Right. But right. but for Cedric Mullins, he's just he's so fun, right? The 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 bunting, the stealing bases. Like you just like hit 250, dude. Hit 250, and you're gonna be so much fun to watch with the bunting and stealing bases because that's something this team hasn't had, right? That we haven't had speed in a in a long, long time. We haven't had a base stealer. Um, and and it looks like we have a couple of those guys in Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins, which could be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, agreed. And that's where we get to that whole crowded outfield. We have a crowded outfield of prospects. We need to see the three that can stick around and take control and then figure out what to do with the others. I know. It's still, it, it, it bugs me. And maybe this is, and this has always bugged me. And maybe I'm just a naive, you know, baseball fan. But I feel like if you paid me a million dollars, and told me, Matt, your only job is to learn how to play third base. Like, take, have someone out there from 7 a.m., you know, to, to 7 p.m., hitting you ground balls, you know, get all the coaches out there helping you. Like, I feel like I could be a professional third baseman if I dedicated my life to it. And I'm not a professional athlete. I'm not a professional. Like, I don't understand how you get this far in the game of baseball and you can't play like the position of third base. I could see maybe shortstop. There's a lot going on there, but like third base, dude. Um, right. Some bad athletes have played third base before. Yeah, we had we had uh, the sheriff playing third base for a while. Yeah. Come on now. Chris Davis played third base back in Texas. Yeah. He played it for the yeah. Orioles too and was bad. <laughs> yeah, was we had Wilson Bettemeet over there. We have a long list of bad third basemen. You're telling me. Manny Machado. You're telling me Ryan Mancastle can't play a bad third base. He's he is so athletic. It seems like it just seems like he must be able but, to play third base. But even if how can you not teach him? Base, he's twenty two. Like teach the kid. Look at forget about third base. If you want to get him into the infield, look at the trash we've put at second base over the years. Yeah, yeah you wonder if he has I mean, range there, but he's athletic. So like maybe right, train him, teach him. It's weird. I mean that's yeah. I mean Steve Pierce played second base for us for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Who was the guy that couldn't jump that played second base? Couldn't Around jump. Around that Steve Pierce era? Oh, yeah. I remember he was, he'd always, he jumped really awkwardly at second base. I'll figure him out later. <laughs> Jeff Rebelay. No, no. It was a guy around the Steve Pierce era or after oh, Steve Pierce. We were just running guys yeah. in there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, the whole unable to play a different position thing. I mean, you can move freaking Michael Givens from shortstop to first, uh, for, to, to a pitcher. But you can't move a guy from first base to third base. I don't really understand that stuff. Well, Mountcastle, he was playing third base in the minors last year. Yeah. There's but just then, like, but the, don't give but, up on him. <laughs> Come I on. know. I know. But then you have guys. But then I wonder, right, Charlie? Because you have guys like Chan Sisko who even trying to teach Chan Sisko how to catch since yeah. we drafted him, right? And he still is not a good catcher. So yeah. I guess, I mean, at some point, you got to move, move on. But I do wonder if the Orioles, because it seemed like when they put 
Ryan Mountcastle, they decided to put him in left field, right? This is what the end of last year, they decided to move him left field. It seems like, I wonder in retrospect if they think that that's a mistake now because there's so many outfielders who are playing well. And they just draft, oh, by the way, they just drafted an out, a corner outfielder. And I wonder now if they're like, oh, shoot, I, we, we should have tried him more at third base because now we all of a sudden we have a bunch of outfielders playing re- really good baseball. I mean, they didn't know at the time that Santander would turn into a freaking all-star in, outfield, in the outfield. They, they didn't know that Cedric Mullins would rejuvenate his career. They didn't know that um, DJ Stewart would, would turn into George Herman Ruth there for, for, for a few weeks. So I wonder now if they want to say, oh, let's, let's, let's go back on that plan. But now it gets into like you're messing with the kid, right? Just let the kid hit. Now you're moving him from left field to third base. Like is it too late to then try to make this transition back to third base? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think they move people backwards. I yeah. think the way that they, they rate positions is left field is, is the easiest position on, on the whole diamond. More than uh, first? More than first, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's apparently left and then first. Um, then I think I think it's second and then right, or right and then second. Um, in, ter- in terms of just like sheer like challenge and impact that you can make defensively. Right. So they don't tend to move people back up that wheel once they've moved them down. So I don't know if we're going to see him play anything but outfield and first base anymore. Right. Especially the tinkering is usually done in the minors. It'd be awkward now to do the tinkering while he's on the major team. We've got a weird history of that, though. They did that with Machado. They did. Well, what, what, what do you have? Like, like I, did he have even one game at third base at Bowie? And then they started to do some, like, they practice practice after the game at third base. They did it with um, Cal Ripken. They, there's, we have a weird history of that with uh, like famous examples of of high touted prospects with Machado and, uh, and Ripken. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I was, I was starting to look up old Orioles rosters to try to remember the guy I was thinking about. And it's amazing. The number of infielders that have been on the Orioles in that 2015, 16, 17, 18, that time frame that I have completely forgotten about. Yeah. Uh, so I want, I might've been thinking of Jimmy Paredes. Oh yeah. Could be. As a, <laughs> just like the guys on there, the guys on that list. I was like, "Oh yeah, that guy, Danny Valencia." Sure, right. like just random, random infielders. Right, right. Like guys that, like Christian Walker. Completely oh, yeah. have forgotten about Christian Walker. He was supposed. He to never be- played second base, though. No, no. I just pulled up infielders, okay. but Christian Walker was supposed to be like a future player here. He's he's been good for the Diamondbacks, but but the but but. You're right, because if you look in the minors too, like there's no middle infielders there waiting to come up, <laughs> and there's well, no third baseman waiting to come up. There's right? A, there's a couple shortstops, but not majorly ready close. I mean, unless you call Richie Martin majorly ready close. Uh, Rich, I guess Richie Martin. Uh, I mean, what about we we drafted a college shortstop, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, we we drafted. Uh, so um, he's, he's probably close. Yeah, I don't know. Because the year before Gunner, that, we drafted a college uh, shortstop too. Gunnar Henderson. Gunnar he Henderson. Be, he should be getting close. Yeah, but they said, I mean, he's like 19 but or 20. Kirsted but they said he'll probably move to third base because right, he's too big for shortstop. And because Kerstead kid is supposed to be even better. Well, Kerstead's playing uh, right field. Oh, is he as an outfielder? All right. Yeah. Who's, the guy, who's the other shortstop that's in our top prospects? I mean, Mason McCoy's there. He's probably, I think he played Bowie last year. He's probably the closest. 
Mason McCoy sounds like a character from Friday Night Lights. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's a good, good country football name, Mason McCoy. Jordan Jordan Westberg is the guy. Yeah, he, we drafted him this past we did, season. That we just drafted this past season, but he's a young kid. We yeah, did. but all these guys, all the guys we just drafted. Keep in mind, we just drafted. They haven't played a single game in the minor, in the minor, in the minor leagues. So who knows? Right, you're right. Adley's being projected for next year, but all these other guys are 2023. 20, yeah. The nice yeah. thing is we have we have built this collection of depth. Hopefully, we're able to either sign veterans to fill the gaps, or you trade from your position of strength for infielders. Yeah. For and what 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 is our position of strength? Hopefully outfielders. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully outfielders. We think we think hopefully outfielders. Yeah, I mean that's what Elias did with uh well that's what the Astros did when Elias was there. We saw this past trade deadline. Um a good example who I hope we emulate is the the Padres, right? Where the Padres had built up such a farm system and they were having such a good year this year that they were able to go out and get a couple pieces without trading some of their top prospects away. Mm-hmm. And so when you get in the position where you have more i mean this is why when we freaking traded zach Britton to the yankees they traded us several pitchers who in cody carroll um right i forget who else i think Dylan tate was on that list and another guy who guys who they couldn't keep on their 40 man and the next year we're going to be have to go to the 40 man like oh we don't have enough room on the 40 man so let's just trade him and get zach Britton. so pretty much they traded guys that they would have had to lose to um the rule five draft to, to, to get a talented reliever. Re, re so hopefully you get into this problem and we haven't even come close to facing this yet where we have too many good players on the 40-man that we just can't afford to lose anyone and then all of a sudden we're able to trade some of them instead of losing them. Um, what a world that's We're not there yet. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> can't wait. What a problem. Right. One day the Orioles will be good and we'll have a vaccine. As, a, as opposed to the same time. As opposed to what's happening now when we're doing like, who is it, Carson Falmer, whatever his name is, um, where we just – we pick him up, then we put him on waivers, and the Pirates pick him up. Uh-huh. Then the Pirates – a week from now, the Pirates are going to put him back on waivers, uh, and we'll, and we'll pick him up. Do the whole Hounds Alberto thing where you go back and forth for five – between five teams. And eventually, maybe he settles on your team. Yeah. I, yeah, I like to be in a position be where we have so many talented players – that we don't need to keep on picking up these cast offs from other teams. That I'd like to be in that position. Sounds great. Yeah. All right. Oh, that's the music. Charlie, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it was a it was a blast to hang out with you guys again. Yeah. When this when COVID's all over, we'll have <laughs> you back on here again for some added perspective. That we survived the COVID era. Right. In, in theory, assuming it ends one day. It'll yeah. end. I just don't know when. Uh-huh. But hear that? Charlie says it's going to magically go away. Whoa, didn't say that. <laughs> I said it would end. Everything ends. Right. Everything ends. Yeah. All but, right. Yeah, thanks for having me, all. No, absolutely. You're good. I get tired of talking to just Josh on here. <laughs> so I appreciate a fresh voice. Uh, we're not going to be on Monday next week. Next week, we got to mix it up because the Ravens play Monday night. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about this Sunday's game because it didn't matter because the game is on Monday. That's right. the game. Chiefs, Ravens, get your popcorn ready. Yep. So we'll record later in the week next week. Yeah, absolutely. Are you coming down? You're coming down here to COVID country next week? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I haven't purchased a plane ticket or anything yet. But, yeah, right. that's that's the tentative plan. Okay. Then maybe we'll even record in person next week. We'll see how it yeah. goes. Yeah, I, uh, I did mean to tell you. I, I, I do have a little uh, work story. I went to work today. Okay. Boss, I had a meeting with the boss and with another guy. And uh, been having meetings up in his office. And I go up in his office and we all spread out like we have been with COVID. Six but we, feet. But we spread far enough out that we can take our masks off. Sure. So we go up there and we spread out to the corners. And then my boss puts a second mask on instead of taking his mask off. So me and the other guy just look at him. And then he goes, oh, yeah, stay over there because I was uh, near someone that has COVID this weekend. So I didn't know how I was supposed to react because I don't think a second mask does any better than one mask, but I don't know. And I felt like he could have, he should have told me that before I walked into his office and sat down. Yeah, heesh. So uh, just just saying, if you come on down here next week, Matt, that's Florida. And that's a considerate Florida person. Mm, the old second mask routine, huh? Yeah. Okay, if they, they, they could have opened up schools a long time ago know, if right. it was just I, about a second mask. Right. I, I know Why are they keeping like schools a, closed for right. that? That's like a trick you used in college, but. Uh, yeah, the old second mask. So that, that's good. Yeah, hey, it was nice and awkward this morning. Yeah, I got some stories. Too. I'll save. I'll save some of my stories for next week about. Yeah, because you're my, teaching my, virtually now, right? I am teaching virtually, and I got some drama with my computer and a trip to the mall. But I'll save that for next week. I know we jumped right into sports talk instead of story time. Well, we had Charlie on here. We got to get the get to the good stuff with Charlie. Get to the Clippers loss. How uh-huh. to get to that early in the show? Plus, plus <laughs> now, now, now that everyone at your school knows you're doing a podcast, you got to censor yourself. Yeah, yeah. The words out. The words out. All right, let's get out of here. You can follow us on uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Just search Section Three Three Six Show. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We appreciate it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Section336. Charlie, you can follow Char- Char- Charlie on Twitter. Uh, at Charles Hoppus. And you can follow Josh on Twitter. At Josh Rocha. Thanks for listening, boys and girls. And as always, go O's. <laughs>